saw the joy that was on his mind. Now listen, that set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to look this way, and then I'm going to let you be seated. I'm going to pray and bring you the message. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. If you can comprehend that tonight, if you can leave this church, I mean, if you can just get out of here tonight and look up and say, Lord, I'm glad that when you were on the cross, I was on your mind. You'll never be the same. You'll never be the same. It'll challenge you and stir you like you've never been stirred before. And I thank God when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. In a minute, I'll let you be seated. Wait, I went to the Holy Land years ago. My baby boy, who's now about 38, his little bitty boy said to me, Dad, when you get to Calvary, would you bring me a stone back? And I said, Dale, I'll be glad to bring you one back. That morning it was cloudy, and I climbed up that old hill. And I got about the nearly to where the skull was, and it seemed like the Holy Ghost said to me, You're not fit to walk on this holy ground. Get on your knees and crawl the rest of the way. I got on my knees, and when I got on my knees, beloved, I crawled over to the place where I thought they they'd crucified him. Brother Solomon Matter was keeping the garden tomb then, and he said, Brother Mays, he said, you're about ten feet from where the blood came down. Boy, I tell you, I crawled over, and it's just before I got to that place, ten feet away, seemed like the Holy Spirit said, you're not fit to crawl on your knees. Get on your stomach the rest of the way. And I got on my stomach, and I crawled the rest of the way. Just before I got there, I bowed my head, and it seemed like the Holy Spirit said, Don't forget, Dale, while you're here, where the old rugged cross makes the difference. And I took two little stones, or three, and put them in my pocket. My boy tonight has still got those little stones. And he said, Daddy, how did it feel? When you I was there on your face where the blood came down. In just a moment, I'm going to tell you from the Word of God what Jesus had on his mind. I'm glad I was on his mind while he was on the cross. Would you be seated and bow your head for just a word of prayer? Father, how we thank you tonight for every blessing of being able to come. Thank you for the good singing of our two brethren and then the good choir. Oh, we thank you tonight for the privilege of being here in this auditorium. We thank you for the privilege of reading about the cross. At the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. I'm glad when I surveyed the old cross, when I think of that payment, that sin debt that you achieved there at Calvary. I thank you that you paid the price in full. So I pray now as we come to open up the Word of God that you'll speak to our hearts and may this be real. Lord, save somebody tonight. May somebody come to Calvary. And I pray that some Christian will draw nigh to the old rugged cross and all that you do will praise you because we ask it 
it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Beloved, I want you to look this way. And for a few moments, I want to speak to you on when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Now, that's something hard to understand. That really staggers my imagination. Just to think while he was in such pain, Psalm 22 says that his tongue clayed his jaws while he was on that cross. Mister, I'm glad he looked down and he said, Maze Jackson, I've got you on my mind. What a blessing that is. And what a blessing it is to think about the old rugged cross. But when we look at the cross tonight, we see three things. I want to give you that by way of introduction. You say, preacher, what do we see when you look at that old cross standing there over Jerusalem and hearing the blood drip down? What do you see? You see three things. You see the depravity of man, the blackness of sin. You don't have to go to honky-tonk here in Knoxville, Tennessee to see sin if you'll go with me to Calvary and see what sin did. You'll see the depravity and the wickedness of sin tonight. It was sin that drove those nails into the hands of the Son of God. It was sin that caused him to die. Not only do we see the depravity there at Calvary, but secondly, we see the depth of the love of God. You want to see how far the love from Calvary reaches? You go to Calvary. I'm glad it reaches to the lowest hell. Oh, thank God it reached far enough down to pick up an old sinner like me. And I thank God for that tonight. You say, preacher, what do you see when you look at Calvary? Not only the depravity of man, the depth of the love of God, but you see a door open up to heaven. I'm glad a new and living way was opened up that day. Thank God the blood sprinkled away. And if that doesn't thrill you, mister, I'm glad that every man is invited. The door is now open. Calvary is the door, and you'll never get to heaven if you bypass that door. But if you have your pencil, I want you to jot down five things that Jesus had on his mind while he was dying on Calvary. First of all, he had on his mind the church of the living God. The Bible said he loved the church and gave himself for the church. And I tell you tonight, when I think about his love for the church, it thrills my heart. Listen to me, my friend. The Bible said for the joy that was set before him while he was dying, he looked down through the channels of time. Thank God he saw little holy man, the church of the living God. And I'm glad he loved the church. And praise God, he gave himself for the church, the Bible says. And I don't understand how people can hate the church. Think about if you didn't have a church. Oh, I want to tell you something. You ought to appreciate the church of the living God. What a blessing the church has been to me. It's where I go when I'm hungry. It's where I go when I'm tired spiritually. It's where I go to meet my God. It's where I go to fellowship. It's where I go to be blessed in the name of the Lord. But in the book of Ephesians, there are three types of the church. Let me give them to you. First of all, it's called a building. I'm glad it's called a spiritual building. And we're living 
our lively stones. Aren't you glad he's working on a building? He said, upon this rock, I build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Living stones, lively stones. And he is the chief cornerstone. Not only is it called in Ephesians a building, it's called a body. Thank God we're bone of his bone and we're flesh of his flesh. I'm glad we're called a body. We're baptized into one body. I'm glad, thank the Lord, for the body of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only is it called a building, not only is it called a body, but if Paul said to the church at Ephesus, it's a bride. Oh, it's a bride. Nothing is so lovable as the bride. Woo! Praise God and the Lamb forever. I was doing temple on Roswell Boulevard several years ago. Brother Roy Lucas was leading the singing in their temple, and they were hundred and something in the choir. And he said before Brother Mays preaches, we're going to sing, Here Comes the Bride. I thought, Lord have mercy, I can't stand it. And I didn't see a little lady over behind the organ that had come back from the mission field, and she had a trumpet. And when Roy Lucas there in Chattanooga, and that choir got to singing, Here Comes the Bride. They got to this part where it said, Pick up your trumpet, Gabriel. And when they started singing about that, she started blowing that horn. I started to run out on Roswell Boulevard, climb the highest telephone pole, and say, Come on back, Lord Jesus. The bride is making herself ready. Hallelujah to the Lamb. The bride is making herself ready. I want to tell you, we're part of that bride. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? We're part of the bride. Here comes the bride. Revelation said in the bride had made herself ready. What a blessing it's going to be. Let me give you something. There are two popular brides in the Bible that came from bleeding sides. The first came from the first Adam, and a deep sleep fell upon Adam. And out of his side, God took a rim. Blood was shed, and a bride was brought forth named Eve. That's a miracle, and that means the mother of living. Here is a bride that came from the bleeding side, but I like this bride better. I'm glad in John 19, hear me, the last Adam, not the second Adam. Don't call him. There'll be no more Adams. Adam in the book of Genesis is the first Adam, and the Son of God is the last Adam. And on that cross they opened his side, and out of that bleeding side came a bride. I'm glad, hallelujah, you talk about a blessing. It's a blessing, my friend, when you think about Oh, you say, Preacher, what did Jesus have on his mind? When he was on the cross, he had the church on his mind. Number two, when he was on the cross, he had the cup on his mind. If you'll look back, I read you in Luke 23, but Luke 22, the Bible said he went a little farther. And he bowed and he prayed till his sweat became as great drops of blood. You know why? Because there was a cup there. 
And he said, let this cup pass from me. And then he prayed this wonderful prayer. I would that everybody in this church could pray it. Not my will, but thy will be done. Are you listening to me? I want to tell you, you'll never be happy till you find the perfect will of God. And when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, not my will, but thy will be done. But he shrank. He pulled himself back from that cup because in the next chapter he drank it on the cross. You say, why? Why did Jesus not want to drink that cup? Three reasons. There's three things in that cup. Number one, sin was in that cup. And the Bible says in Second Corinthians, He that knew no sin were made as it were sin. My sin was laid upon him, the purest of the pure. Thank God I'm so glad. He never took a wrong step. He never spoke a wrong word. He never lifted his hand against any man. Praise the Lord. You talk about a blessing. He is the perfect Son of God. But all of that old sin was poured out upon him. He didn't want it. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. But he said, Thy will be done. Sin was in that cup. Number two, shame was in that cup. He said he despised the shame. You know what they did to your blessed Lord and mine? They stripped him and hanged him up before that mocking crowd. And he despised that shame. Oh, he was embarrassed with the shame. He'll tell you while he was on that cross. Listen to me, that cup was on his mind. Not only was it sin and shame, but separation. That was the thing that he hated most in that cup. You see, he had never been separated from the Father. Woo! Praise God, that blesses me. From eons past in eternities, thank God that never been separated. And i got news for you, they'll never be separated again. Oh, he said, the Father and I are one, and they'll never be separated again. I want to tell you, they, they smote him, and they beat him, and they nailed him to that cross, and that was bad enough. But when he lifted up those dying eyes and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, God had left his throne. Oh, the Father had turned his back on his Son. Everybody else had turned their backs on him. I wonder, have you ever turned your back? On the Savior, have you ever been ashamed to stand up and say, He's mine, and I'm His, and what a blessing that is. You say, Preacher Mace, at 1.30 in the afternoon, in the darkness of that midnight, Jesus said, where are you? Oh, the separation of the Son and the Father took place. I want you to know, when He was on that cross, number one, the church was on his mind. Number two, the cup was on his mind. Number three, the crowd that crucified him was on his mind. Oh, he didn't look out and say, you bunch of devils. That's what some of the churches, when they split and they have a little trouble, they call one of the devils. Say, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Ought to be ashamed of yourself. I'll tell you now. 
You ought to pray for one another. You ought to love one another. When the church can't get along, mister, there's something bad wrong. The body of Christ ought to be one, one faith, one Lord, and one baptism, brother. We're one. You ought to be fussing, and preachers are the world's worst. That's pitiful. Do you know that? You know what most preachers in Knoxville I'm talking about now? Baptist preachers. I'm talking about preachers in this city. They don't want the other church to have a revival. They're afraid somebody will have a revival. And brother, that's pitiful. Oh, it's sad when you get to the place you say, Look, bless us and no more, just us four. Why, that's pitiful. Say amen. amen. Brother, we need to get our eyes open and see that we're on the same team. Bless God, we're in the same army. And what a blessing that is. I never will forget my daddy knew more than I'll ever know. My daddy was not a preacher. But my daddy studied the Word of God and he knew the Word of God. And I went one time to a fellowship meeting and I shot every preacher there. And got in the car and started home, and Daddy was crying. And I said, Daddy, didn't you like my sermon? He said, Son, you'll never win the battle shooting your own men. He said, Now you put that down. He said, If you're going to win the battle over the devil, you're going to need every preacher of friendship you can find. And you're going to need their prayers, and you're going to need their friendship. And I stopped, and we had a Holy Ghost prayer meeting. And, Brother, I said, I'll never do that again. Are you listening to me tonight? When Jesus was on the cross, number one, he had the church on his mind. Number two, he had the cup on his mind. Number three, he had that crowd. Let me tell you something. Jesus cried seven things from the cross. You know the first thing he cried? He didn't cry, Water, I thirst. He didn't cry something for himself. The first thing Jesus cried while he was on that cross, Father, forgive them. They nailed me to the tree. Father, forgive those sinners. They nailed me to the cross. And the first prayer he prayed was for that crowd that nailed him to the cross. Let me tell you something, brother, in our churches tonight, this is a sad fact. We're interested in our little committees and our little programs. But when it comes to that old drunk out there on the street, that crowd out yonder that needs God, those sheep that don't have a shepherd, the crowd out yonder, mister, we're in bad shape. I remember when I pastored a church in Columbia, South Carolina, I brought in some old drunks and bombs and and I mean old harlots. And I had a little church and they gagged me. They're dignified. Say amen right there. Bless God, without Jesus, you would, you would be nothing. Without Jesus, bless God, I'd be nothing. It's all Jesus. Praise the Lord. And I had them folks to come down on Sunday morning. You ought to have heard my deacons. You ought to have heard some of them high-browed sisters. Do you think they're going to stay for worship? Well, I want to tell you, I told that outfit. They came to me and they said, why don't you get rid of them? I said, if they go, I go. I said, I love them because Jesus has loved them. Oh, that old man that's a drunk is somebody's uh, darling. That old man that's a drunk is somebody's uh, a friend. And I said, we need to be a friend to sinners. And the first thing any church ought to have on its mind is rescuing the perishing care for the dying, snatch them from sin, and pity in the grave. You say, our church is not interested in the crowd that's lost. Then you miss God. You miss God. You ought to have a lighthouse. 
Well, I used to, the first time I heard that song, I didn't like it. I didn't like it, Brother Crawford. I just didn't like it. I was down in Anderson, Alabama, where I'd been 31 straight years since Sherman Harford. And his quartet got it about 15 years ago, and they said, Four Brother Meese comes, we're going to sing The Lighthouse. We just learned it, and I never had heard it. And I thought, I ain't going to like it. And boy, they got to singing, Thank God for the Lighthouse. And I didn't like it. But when it got down to that part where it said, I'll never forget that stormy night. <laughs> when the light from the Lighthouse shined on me. Boy, it picked up, and I got my handkerchief. I started waving and hollering, Glory. I remember the night when the Lighthouse shined on me. And praise the Lord. Are you listening to me? If the church doesn't have the crowd that's going to hell on their mind, I want to tell you, you need to come to the altar and repent and stay on your face till you get it on your mind. But he was on the cross. Why would he think about the church? He said, Brother Joe, why would he think about that cup? Oh, when he was on the cross, why would he think about that old crowd of sinners? Number four, when he was on the cross, I like this. You know what was on his mind? The completion of redemption. Somebody said he could have died before he got there. No, he couldn't have saved us. He couldn't have died in the midst of that darkness and saved us. He had to wait till redemption's plan had been completed. And thank God, you can't add nothing to it. I can't add nothing to it. On the cross, he had the completion of redemption upon his mind. Now, you know what Baptists want to do? They want to help God save them. And they want to do something to get God's favor. All you've got to do is cry out, I'm a sinner, and you'll get the favor. Oh, dear me, all you've got to do, all I could do was say, God, I'm bankrupt and sinful and wretched and on my way to hell. Oh, have mercy on me, and God save me. Completion. Let me show you something. In the temple that day at 3 o'clock, there was a priest... And before that priest stood a veil. Now, let me give you something about that veil. That veil had been there 1,500 years. 1,500 years! It either been in the sanctuary of the of what we call the tabernacle that moved with them, or the temple. And once a year, the high priest could go behind that veil. He couldn't go but once a year. And you know something? He can only go once a year to stand in the Holy of Holies, to stand in the presence of God. And I want to tell you, that was a cube. No natural light ever got behind that veil. That little place called the Holy of Holies was a perfect cube. And that Holy of Holies was a place where that priest had to go in once a year for the sins of Israel. You know what he did? He had a special garment on to go then there. Decorated here. Down on the bottom, he had plum granites and bells all the way around him. You say, why? Because when he went behind that veil, uh, listen, it would almost kill him. I mean, he'd stagger in the presence of God. I've heard people say, I'd like to stand. No, mister, till we get that glorified body. We couldn't stand in the presence of a holy God. You know what that priest had in his hand once a year? He had something in his hand in this hand. He had blood in this hand in the vessel. 
He had incense in his hand. You know what that was to do? When he got back there, he was to throw that incense up, and that was to blot him out. Uh, Mister, when you stand in God's presence, uh, you're a nobody. Uh, he's everything. And when that priest went in, uh, listen to me, he threw that incense up, and it blotted him out. And I want to tell you, that great power of that Shekinah glory was the only light in that tabernacle. And he was so strong, he staggered, and he made his way over to the chair made his way over there to the, oh, to the holy, holy box. And there he looked down at that ark, and he sprinkled the blood. And every time he'd move, the bells would ring, and the people outside would say, he's still alive. He's still alive. Did you know he's seated at the right hand of the Father now? And every once in a while, when I'm a-praying, I hear the bells are ringing, and you say, what do you know? He ever lived to make intercession. Thank God He lives! And what a blessing that is! He lives. But here's a veil. And for 1,500 years it had an invisible sign. It said, Stay out! No man can go behind the veil! But today Jesus died that of making their first afternoon sacrifice at 3 o'clock. That little priest stood before that veil. He put seven drops of blood on the veil. And then he put seven drops of blood where he could stand on. And then he'd lean over and put his forehead against that blood and chant in the Hebrew language. He'd chant, blood, blood, blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Blood! When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And that day when he reached over, laid his forehead against that blood upon a hill far away, completion of redemption was finished. And Jesus in John 19 cried, It's finished! It's finished! And when he cried, It's finished! The veil was rent in twain from top to bottom. Woo! You say, why? If it is said from bottom to top, the Baptists have taken credit for it. Say, man, bless God, it says from top to bottom. I'm glad the veil was rent in two from top to bottom. Now, I want to show you something. Watch this. That thing fell. When it was rent, it fell. It wasn't any more good. Fifteen hundred years, it had guarded the holiness of God. Fifteen hundred years, a man couldn't go behind it except the high priest once a year. But now, listen to what it said. A new and living way was opened up by the blood. You know, there's another sign up tonight. And you know what it says? It don't say, stay out. It says, come on in. The blood has paid the price. Completion for redemption has been made at Calvary. Thank God. It's been made. It's been made. You say, preacher, what do you have on his mind? First, he had the church. Secondly, he had a cup. Thirdly, mystery had the crowd that nailed him to the tree and all sinners. Fourthly, he had completion of that redemption. And fifthly, he had a coronation on his mind. He could see that day when they seen bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bless God. 
You talk about a time, children. I'm going to a coronation. <laughs> Hallelujah! I'm going where he says in Revelation chapter 19, and he'll be crowned with many crowns. Well, you talk about a time, children. I'll be in that coronation. <laughs> oh, what a blessing. I've been to Holy Land many times, and I took a boy from Chattanooga, not a boy, a preacher, and he wrote a song. When I took Paul O'Neill with me that year, every time an airplane would stop, every time we'd get on a boat to actually see a Galilee or anywhere, I'd say, Paul, before we go any farther, sing your song you wrote, They Can't Crown Jesus, till we all get there. Woo! Boy, you talk about shouting. There's 12 of us, Pastor Priest over there. I mean, running, kicking up dust. And one fellow came behind and asked that priest, said, what do you think about that dust? And they went up through there shouting. He said, they're making more racket than the first dust that came through here. I want to tell you something. Brother, you talk about shouting. We shouted and we praised. And, and old Paul had sing, in that land far away. There will be a great coronation day, but they can't crown Jesus till we all get there. But I'll tell you what you can do tonight. You can crown him the king of your life, lord of your life. There can be a coronation here tonight. Every soul in this house can crown him. And what a blessing it is to say I've crowned him lord and king of kings. He's right everything. Now, let me show you two things, and then I'm going to give an illustration, and we'll close. The fifth thing Jesus had on his mind was that thunder of the joy. He could see that day when he'd be crowned. All of the suffering, all of the agony, it was worth it. It was worth it. Hallelujah. Now watch this. I want to show you something. Jesus was crowned in John 19. It's called... The coronation of mockery. They set him in a chair. And they put a reed in his hand. And they put a crown of thorns on his head. And they said, hey, you king, we've crowned you king. But that was a coronation of mockery. Let me tell you about one. Over yonder, thank God, in the book of the Revelation, They'll come from the east and the west and the north and the south. And somebody will start singing maybe 10,000 times 10,000 saints. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. We're going to crown him Lord of all. But I'm glad I've already crowned him in my life. I have a preacher boy in my family. In fact, I think all of them speak around churches. But my pastor is my middle son, and he's pretty strict. So you better be glad he ain't your pastor. Say amen. You see, he's never compromised. The thing he started off with, he's always believed. I mean, he didn't start off fighting television and then get one. He still don't have one. But I got one, and he preaches to me. Say amen right there. But he's not like these fellows get up and say, Oh, I can tell where the devil lives. Horns are sticking out. Talking about a little antenna. Well, he said it's wrong for Christians to sit around and watch television. And he ain't never changed. I like that. Now, if you ever preached again and got one, you're a compromiser. See, I never preached. You've been hearing me preach. You ain't never heard me preach against it. Because I like one too good. Say amen. I, see, I could be a hypocrite and make you think I didn't like it. But I like some things on television. Amen, Bill. You do too, don't you? 
Why, sure, I had right. Crawford, don't you like some things on TV? Why, sure you do. Now, most of it ain't no care. Most of it's wrecking this nation. I realize that. But you put her down. I, I love my boy. Never has. He never has buried an inch. And he's not stupid. He's got all kinds of degrees from universities. So let me tell you something. When he was a little boy, this was in him when, before he was ever saved. I'd tell him, I'd say, you go up there to the high school football game. No, Jesus might come. Well, I said, I imagine he'd pass that football game up to high school. But he'd say, no, I ain't going. He wouldn't go. And he was always that way. And then one day, I came in and my wife said, Nolan's crying. I went down to his room and he said, Daddy, i got to preach. I said, well, poor little thing. Ain't that pitiful? I said, ain't that pitiful? And you know... He, I, I preached his ordination. I never visited it. I set him in a chair. Boy, I preached to him. I said, son, if you ever get to the place that you don't believe this book, will you turn your ordination papers in? And I said, if you're going to run, run off after some Jezebel that's got one half eyelash over here and two on this side, I said, bless God, get out of that chair and don't bring a reproach on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I told him that. You, you get the tape. I'll send you the tape. Listen to me. There's a little boy. He used to go to me to preach, and he said, Daddy, would you tell me about the king? And I'd say, I, I can't tell it tonight. Yeah, tell me about it. So I'll dedicate this. is going to be on video, so I'll dedicate this to him. He used to go in England. They had a king. He loved people, but he's afraid the people didn't love him. Oh, he's afraid that those people really didn't love him. Once a month, he'd get in his big chariot, he'd go down the boulevard, and they'd blow a trumpet. The king is coming! And the people would run out and say, stop at our house. Eat with us. Live forever! And he said, I wonder if it's the crown, the scepter, the robe that they have. I wonder if it's the eight horses and the big chariot. So he decided he wouldn't go for three months. He told his serfs, that's his servants, he said, for three months, I'm going to let my beard grow, my hair grow. And he said, for three months, I'm going to do all I can to get dirty and filthy. And put on an old ragged shirt after three months. And a ragged pair of breeches. Some old tattered shoes. And I'll get me a stick. And I'll mess up my hair and my beard. And I'll go down the street and see if they really want me to eat with them. See if they really want me to come in and live forever. And he started down that day and he told the man out at the great castle gate, said, don't you call Scotland Yard. said, if you call Scotland Yard, I'll see that you're punished. said, I'll be back. And he went all day. And everywhere he went, people ran out and seek their dog on him. Everywhere he went, people made fun of him. They said, you old tramp, you hungry-looking thing. Everywhere he went... Nobody asked him to come in. He'd walk out in a little garden of flowers where a lady was here, and she'd say, I'll seek my dog on you. So that afternoon, he got down to the little uh, railroad tracks where there were three or four lights post. He leaned up and said, well, nobody loves me. It's only the outwardness they love. Nobody loves me. And then he looked across the tracks, and way over there was a little house. It wasn't rich. The roof was trying to cave in. The windows had old paper over them. And he walked over there, and he knocked on that door. And when he knocked on that door, the door slowly opened. And a little girl holding her daddy's breeches leg said, Hi, mister. And he said, Say that again. 
Nobody all day has said nothing kind. Not one word. Say it again. Little girl said, Hi, mister. And he said, Thank you. You're so kind. And the man said, You know the law of the land here, London? You can't harbor a tramp. You can't harbor a tramp. We can't do it. And by the way, he said, we don't, we're poor. We have three bowls of soup for supper tonight. And we have only two beds, one for my wife and I, and one for my little daughter. And the little girl holding her daddy's bitch's leg said, Papa, he can have my soup and I'll go to bed without any soup tonight. And the old king tears came in his eyes and he wiped them away and he said, thank you. But the man said, you don't have, we don't have to work, you can eat and leave. And the little girl said, no, let him eat. He can sleep in my bed and I'll make me a pallet for you and mom and he can have my bed tonight. And they went to sleep at night. That king rested in the haven of rest. Next morning woke up. They gave him all they had. They didn't have much for breakfast. He didn't tell them a thing. He went in the living room to bid him farewell. And the little girl said, Mister, if you ever come back, you can have my soup again. And if you ever come back, you can have my bed. And he said, Is that so? He said, Mother and Dad, would you go in that other room and close the door? And they did, and the king got down on his knees. He was ragged, and he was tattered, and he started to cry. And he said, come here. And she said, oh, sure, I'm not afraid of you. He said, look at these eyes. Look close now, honey. Look at my eyes. That's all you'll remember. Look at my eyes. And she started clapping her hands. And she said, they're the prettiest eyes I've ever seen. And he said, you can come in now. And the mother and dad came and he said, I'll see you after a while. He ran across the tracks and down the boulevard. And after an hour or two, they saw him coming. They opened up the gates and he ran in. They said, we'll put you to bed. He said, no, I don't want to go to bed. He said, I want the barber. I want a shave and a haircut. I want a bath. I want the best robe I've ever worn. I want the best crown that's ever sat on my head. I want a scepter of gold and sparkling diamonds. And I want you to get the best chariot we've got. And eight of the finest horses, because we're going to make a trip. I want to see, and I want to hear what they say today. And when he came out, he looked up at the surf that was a guide, and he said, Hey, uh, how do I look? He said, You look good, King. He said, all right, I'm going to sit up there with you. I used to sit in the chariot. But I want them to see me good today. And so they went down the boulevard and they blew. The man blew the trumpet and the people came out and said, live forever. He looked over and said, you didn't say that yesterday. You seek your dog on me. Keep going. They came to the railroad tracks and the little lamppost. And the surf stopped and said, here's where we turn around. He said, here's where we used to turn around. Said, you see that little house? Pull up over there. And that great chariot with those great horses pulled up. And it was longer than the little house. And the king said, I'm getting... Oh, he said, you can't stand on that unholy ground, king. He said, I've already stood on this unholy ground. He got down and fixed his crown, fixed his uh, robe and... He took his scepter said, how'd I look? said, the best I've ever seen. He said, you wait, I'll get my family, I'll be right back. And he went over and he pecked on the door. The door slowly opened. The little girl holding her daddy's precious leg said, he's just a tramp on the street, Mr. King. And don't bother daddy. 
I was the one that gave him soup. I was the one that gave him a bed. And Mr. King, if he comes back, he can still have my soup. If he comes back, he can still have my bed. And the king said, I want your mother and dad to go in that room, please. And uh, he said, I'll not hurt your daughter. Go in that room. And they went in the room, closed the door. He pushed his crowd back. He got on his knees and she said, I don't care what you say, Mr. King. I like him. In fact, I love him. If he ever comes back to my house, he can have everything I've got next time. That king said, come up close. I'm not bother you. And she got up real close. You see, his hair was cut. He didn't have any beard. She didn't know who he was. And when she got close enough, he said, look at my eyes. And she looked at those eyes and she started screaming and jumping up and down. Said, Mama, Daddy, come out of here. And they ran out of the room and said, what's the matter? She said, he was a tramp yesterday, but he's the king today. Oh, are you listening to me? He came the first time as a tramp on the street. He came to his own, and his own received him not. But thank God to his ministers received him. To them he gave power to become the sons of God. He's coming back. I've already crowned him. He's coming back. He's coming back. Every head by the right clothes over the house. While I'm getting ready to sing.